This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. Florida's budget is being parsed by lawmakers at the state capitol this week, and the man who takes over as Speaker of the House next year says they have a spending problem. But the chairman of the Budget Committee in the Florida Senate says, nah, not really. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is asking lawmakers to ante up for the State Forest Service. Wildfires are going to be a huge problem next year in the Panhandle because of all the trees that are still on the ground after Hurricane Michael, and Freed says they are still using helicopters left over from the Vietnam War. A new poll from Florida Atlantic University shows Elizabeth Warren is gaining ground on Joe Biden in the Sunshine State. The poll also shows Warren, Biden, and Bernie Sanders in a statistical tie in a one-on-one match with Donald Trump. But political guru Steve Vancor has some concerns about the methodology. We'll also have your daily political calendar and the latest report on the adventures of Florida Man. That's here on Sunrise. And now, the top stories. Does the state government of Florida have a spending problem? It all depends on who you ask. The people who run the legislature all claim to be fiscal conservatives who run a tight ship. But when Representative Chris Sprawls was designated as the next majority leader and Speaker of the Florida House, he said it was time to get the state budget under control. We have a spending problem. Our budget is growing faster than our reserves. We start new university construction projects without finishing old ones. We fund our wants at the expense of our needs. We turn policy conversations into revenue conversations. We treat the state budget like it's our own private charitable foundation to be used for the naming rights of buildings or programs. We can do better than this. We need to increase our reserves and create a new fund for disaster recovery. There is no excuse not to be prepared for the next storm or the next recession. The budget has grown considerably in recent years, but Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Rob Bradley says it's really not as bad as the speaker-designate makes it sound. First of all, let me tell you that I'm really excited for Chris. He's a He's a great guy. Um, he's going to do a really good job uh, as as speaker. I consider him a, a personal friend and good family man. Uh, the, we're at that stage in session, uh, and that's sort of a platform where you where you talk about general visions about government. I, I didn't take it quite as literally as perhaps others take it. You know, to the extent Chris is seeking physical restraint to the extent that he's looking to have robust reserves. Heck, I support all of those things. And we're Republicans. You know, we're about less spending, less government, lower taxes. So I looked at it more in the context as sort of an overall general approach to government than than a specific critique of anything that had been done. I mean, let's look at what happened last session. It was a budget that was unanimously approved in the Senate. I think there were two no votes in the House on the budget. So apparently, you know, everybody but two representatives thinks that, you know, we're, we're where we need to be when it comes to uh, spending levels. Uh, so you know, to specifically answer your question, I don't think we have a spending problem. Uh, if you look at the state of New York, for instance, they have the same population roughly as the state of Florida, and their budget is twice the size of, of Florida's budget. So... We've demonstrated over time that we are very good fiscal stewards of the taxpayer dollars, cut taxes pretty much every year I've been here. I'm I'm confident with where we have been and where we're headed as a state from a budgetary standpoint. I also don't have any problem with Chris Sprouse or anyone else 
challenging us all to do better when it comes to making sure that we spend every single tax dollar wisely. So, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't take it. Uh, any of the comments that the speaker doesn't have made yesterday as a, you know, and it, it wasn't an, an indictment of, of Speaker Oliva. It wasn't an indictment of Governor DeSantis. It wasn't an indictment of himself. It wasn't an indictment of me or uh, President Galvan or any other senator. It was, uh, it was somebody who, you know, early on and before we've even started session, talking about his grand vision for government, and he wants limited government, and so do I. As for that suggestion about creating a reserve fund for hurricanes, Bradley says we already have one. They just don't call it that. It was created after Hurricane Andrew more than 20 years ago. We have about $3.8 billion in reserves. Amy Baker, who, as you know, Amy, Amy's the... Uh, the economic guru for the legislature. She is. Yes. She's uh, hired by both the House and the Senate, and she keeps it fair, keeps it straight, gives it to you straight. And Amy tells us that our reserve levels are higher than they have been in 10 years. I'll, I'll take her word for it. Uh, I think we're in, from a reserve standpoint, we're doing a really good job. And by the way, that's, that's after we've had to shell out for two hurricanes, Irma and Michael, in the last three years. So, And even with uh, those challenges, we have our best reserve levels in 10 years. One, one of the things that I think is important for Floridians to understand is that we, after Hurricane Andrew in 1992, instituted what's called a budget stabilization fund. It's in our Constitution. It's in our state statutes. And it really was designed for events like Hurricane Andrew. I mean, at that time, a lot of the same discussions you were, you're hearing now were, having, were taking place in Tallahassee. We need to make sure that we set aside for literally a rainy day, a hurricane. Yeah. And, uh, and so we started this budget stabilization fund. And that's part of our $3.8 billion in reserves. It's a, it's a fund that, we, um, that grows with, when the budget grows. Uh, and it's, it's there uh, to make sure that we have sufficient monies in place when emergencies occur. So I, I would respectfully suggest to the average Floridian that we do set aside for hurricanes. The people demanded it in their constitution when we established the budget stabilization fund. It just doesn't have the name hurricane on it, but it's there. Correct. And it's there for emergencies. So, and it grows when the, when the revenues grow. So it, it's uh, not a static amount of money. It, it, we add to it every year whenever our revenues increase. So, you know, I think we kind of do a lot of the things that I heard described uh, amongst some uh, about hurricane planning. I think we do a lot of that planning now. And I think when you look at the history of our state, we've gone through these debates before and we've kind of addressed these issues. I feel like our reserve levels are such that uh, they produce a triple I don't feel this. I know this. They produce a triple A bond rating. Uh, if when we borrow money, it, we borrow it at a uh, less interest rate than a typical state, than really any state, because people know we're going to pay people who loan us money, know we're going to pay them back. And they know that we're not Illinois. And they know that we're not New York and they know that we're not California uh, because, because we have these robust reserves. So I think our reserve situation is, is in really good shape right now. 
Speaking of budgets, Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is making the rounds in the state legislature, trying to convince lawmakers to support her budget and her agenda for the upcoming session. What's on her list? We have a very reasonable, sensible budget proposal. Um, some of our priorities is funding the hemp program uh, so that because we need, I mean, we we're looking at potentially 3,000 applications plus. So that is just uh, intake purposes, our inspectors going out there and actually inspecting the plants, going to our food safety to make sure that if they're processing it, that that's all um, up to code. And then obviously to make sure that any of the retail that are selling the hemp products are also regulated. Uh, so that's another priority is making sure that money is there. Uh, fire suppression. We have some of our equipment, our, our air ops, our veteran, uh, our Vietnam era. Um, so that I think that the helicopters that are in the memorial are uh, younger than the ones that we have in our fleet. Uh, so those are some of the other things. We're also putting out some, some pretty good legislation that we're going to be working with legislators on, um, such as uh, dealing with our, our school nutrition program and food insecurity, which has been a top priority of mine. Uh, we potentially are putting together a huge energy package, uh, looking at how we need it in the state of Florida to move forward. Uh, consumer issues, you know, some of the things like fair rides, making sure that the inspections are increased and the type of protocols that we look for, uh, as well as if, you know, we, we all know about the credit card scams and people stealing identities off of credit cards. But what people don't also understand is that you have a lot of information that's stored on your hotel cards, on your Apple Pay, on, you know, your bands when you go to Disney World. And right now there's a loophole in the law that unless your name is physically on those cards, then it's not considered identity theft. So we need to close that loophole to protect our consumers. One slight complication for Commissioner Freed is that she's the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida, which makes her the de facto leader of the Dems, and they're in the minority in the House and the Senate. Florida Atlantic University is out with a new poll showing Elizabeth Warren has pretty much doubled her support in Florida over the past four months, and she's now cutting into the lead that Joe Biden has enjoyed. The actual numbers here, let me run them down for you. It shows Biden at 34 percent in Florida. That's down from 38 percent in their May poll. Elizabeth Warren is now at 24 percent. That's up 12 points from May. And Senator Bernie Sanders is at 14 percent. He's just sort of motoring in there. And the poll also found that in a head-to-head matchup with Donald Trump, Warren, Biden, and Sanders are all in a statistical dead heat. There's only a fraction of a point between them on that. Joining us now to talk about this latest poll is our polling expert, Steve Vancor. And Steve, I know you have a little bit of a problem with some of these polls. Well, this is a case, Rick, of the the blind squirrel finding the nut. It, clearly, these are the trends we're seeing in polling all across America right now. We talked about it on the last show that Elizabeth Warren was moving up. Joe Biden had kind of remained static, as had uh, Sanders. Uh, after the debate, a little bit of slippage uh, on Biden's part. So the general trend line of the poll is probably good. But let me tell you where I, I get some agita on this. Uh, and, and people who are listening to this should take this particular poll with a little bit of a grain of salt. The poll, what I do as a pollster is look at the methodology, right? This poll's methodology is is really questionable. They It was taken, first off, looking at the raw numbers, 934 registered voters People should be worried about that because it's not among likely voters. And then they claim a margin of error, but among Democrats, with the numbers they're showing among Democrats, do the math. There's about 36% of registered voters are Democrats. That means we talked to 330-something registered Democrats. Well, we're looking at, let's say, a 40% turnout 
in the presidential preference primary. So you're probably only talking to about 130 likely Democratic voters. Just looking at that alone, would anybody put their faith in a poll that was conducted of less than 200 voters across the state, likely voters across the state? No, they wouldn't. They'd say, hey, wait a second. That number's too low. So they lead with 934. You're like, okay, that's almost 1,000. That's pretty good. But when you really boil it down and the numbers for Warren, Sanders, Biden, et cetera, are among likely voting Democrats. So that scares me a little bit. The other thing that scares me is this poll was taken as a combination of uh, what's called IVN, which is robocalls. And the problem with robocalls, they don't talk to cell phone people, okay? People who answer their calls on the cell phone, which is a growing number. In our polls, we regularly hit 60 70% of our calls are taken on cell phones. That's not always a problem, but the other thing they do wrong is they combine it, almost a no-no in polling methodology, with online panels, self-described voters with little verification as to who they actually are. So not only are the numbers very low, but the mixed methodology concerns me a little bit. That said, these the overall trend line appears to be consistent. And what a shock. They're predicting Florida in the general election, irrespective of who the Democrats going to be, will be close. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> we, who we, we are. We've sung that song once or twice before. Yeah. And, and even though the, there may be some questions about the poll, it really will have an impact, you say, on the donors. Well, yeah, and, and what, what's good here is I promise you, if you're on the uh, the polling list uh, for Elizabeth Warren, you're going to be receiving an email any day now, any moment now, saying, hey, look, another poll showing us closing the gap. And so these these kind of polls become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If Biden's starting to slip, he's going to have fewer of his phone calls returned when he's raising money. He's going to have fewer people saying, well, you know, I'm with you just because I think you're going to be the winner. And so these kind of polls, and that's what should scare some people if the methodology is off, but it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because if Elizabeth Warren is surging, okay, and she's able to show a flawed poll that donors aren't sophisticated, believe it or not. They're, listen, they're oil tycoons. They're making solar panels. They're building boats, whatever it is they do for a living, running TV stations. They're not polling experts. And so they're the ones going, oh, wow, she's up in the polls. I want to hedge my bet and go with her. So when this poll gets released, it'll make Elizabeth Warren's job calling donors a little bit easier. It'll make Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden's job a little tougher. And, of course, with all those asterisks <laughs> at 3% or less, their job has always been tough and will remain so. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Speaking of Senator Warren, she has just hired Planned Parenthood's head of public policy in Florida to run her presidential campaign here in the Sunshine State. Kimberly Diaz Scott is leaving the Florida Planned Parenthood Alliance after five years with the group, but says she will not go far from the pro-choice movement. Time now for your calendar of events. The House Children, Families, and Senior Subcommittee will receive a presentation on a report about placement options and services for victims of commercial sexual exploitation. That's at 930 in the House Office Building. The House Higher Education and Career Readiness Subcommittee will receive presentations about developmental education reform in the Florida college system. That's also at 9.30 in the House Office Building. The House Pre-K-12 Appropriations Subcommittee will take up budget requests for the Department of Education and the Office of Early Learning. That also 9.30 in the House Office Building. Looks like a busy morning in the House. The Industrial Hemp Advisory Council meets in the Capitol at 8 this morning. That's followed at 9.30 by a meeting of the Hemp Advisory Committee, not to be confused with the Council. They'll both be in the Cabinet Meeting Room in the Capitol. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's Harmful Algae Bloom Task Force meets at 10 o'clock this morning in St. Petersburg, and the Florida Supreme Court will issue its weekly opinions at 11 o'clock this morning. And time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, because stupid is as stupid does.
Police in Okoe are looking for a Florida woman accused of attacking employees at a local Burger King. She was in the drive through lane and something set her off. We don't know what. Investigators say the woman left her car, went inside where she battered several workers and damaged some of the fixtures. The burger basher was last seen driving off in a bright orange Dodge Charger. And a Florida man who made less than $20,000 got a refund of $980,000 from the Internal Revenue Service. Too bad he didn't get to keep it. 29-year-old Ramon Blanchett of Tampa filed a tax return with a W-2 form that showed $17,000 in wages and $1 million of federal income tax withholding. So the IRS actually sent him a refund for the difference. Well, of course, when the feds finally figured out what happened, they filed suit and seized the money that was left. They also confiscated a Lexus he had purchased for almost $50,000. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting for Florida Politics. See you tomorrow.